Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. She, I do that. I drink from it. And she's like, it look, and she, my wife goes, doesn't he look like a giant baby drinking out of like a bottle? <laughs> and she had... <laughs> And then my my mother in law goes, oh, he has to drink out of his baba. And again, that is so out of out of character for for Sylvia. I was like, oh my god, I'm buried. And so now, like, now I, I mean, I, I don't know what to do, but I feel like a complete ass clown. Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. I like doing it. You know, I love running routes. We better be in Florida. It better be sunny, and there better be some sort of fruity drink involved. With Matt Harmon. It seems like you know ball the way you talk, so. <laughs> Thank you. Someone clip that. Looking forward to facing your mom at some point. Last night at the bar we were at, I had some really bad queso. I've never had no bad queso, really. Good morning. It's Tuesday, August 9th. What a great show. What a great show. We're talking wide receiver rankings today. And joining me to do that is the one, the only, the sneaky handsome Andy Barons. Andy. What's going on, man? Sneaky handsome. Um, I'm good. I'm good. I'm back from I was in New York this weekend for Jake Seeley's flex drafts. Those were really fun. Got to hang out with Funston with uh, John Daigle for much of the weekend. So it was a good time. Nice. Good time. Barely made it back. Nice. I was going to say so uh, feeling it, I, I would assume. Um, I'm feeling it. I had like three flights canceled along the way. So spent a lot oh of time in airports waiting to figure out new flights. But whatever. It was a good time. Good night. What a treat. Yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful time to do any air travel right now. Absolutely wonderful. Um, we're not going to be talking about any of that stuff today. Like I said, we are going to be talking wide receiver rankings. And even better than that, we have another really interesting, good team. Andy, the first, like, last week, I would say, we we talked, like, the damn Panthers, the Seahawks, the Falcons. <laughs> it was a real murderer's row uh, <laughs> to taking over the podcast. But now we've got some good teams to talk about. we got the Raiders here. That's a fun one. We're going to... I really want to dive deep into that one because I kind of have a lot of questions myself. We'll get into that, but first we are going to talk wide receiver rankings. I thought it'd be good to just start with your top 10 versus my top 10. There's really only one kind of crazy difference, uh, which is the first guy we'll talk about. But anyways, your top 10, you're bold enough to have Justin Jefferson over Cooper Cup. Your rankings go Justin Jefferson, Cooper Cup, Jamar Chase, Stefan Diggs, CD Lamb, Devontae Adams, who we'll talk in depth later, Mike Evans, Keenan Allen, that's the outlier, Debo Samuel, and Tyree Kill. As for me, uh, I go, our top four is the exact same. Top four is the exact same. I, I've Well, I've got Cooper Cup at one, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, Stefan Diggs. I've got Mike Evans at five, 
You've got CeeDee Lamb at five. No debate there. I, I go back and forth. I've got CeeDee Lamb at six, Adams at seven, Debo Samuel at nine, uh, Tyree Kill at 10, and I've got T. Higgins uh, at number 10. So pretty, pretty much the same, but the Keenan Allen one, buddy, we got to talk about that. It's an aggressive ranking on Keenan Allen. You're the highest among our Yahoo rankers. Tell us why you're so high on Keenan Allen. Yeah, I guess I, I'm probably, if I'm the highest among the Yahoo rankers, I'm probably one of the highest in the industry, right? Um, I haven't, you are, yes. I haven't done a lot of looking about, you know, like ranks are a thing that, um, like as soon as it opens, as soon as I have an opportunity to rank players, I generally do. Um, long before, long before our editor prompts us to do it, I've, I've generally got a set of rankings in place and Keenan, Keenan has been top 10 for me um, throughout. And it's also one of those ranks of a, a certain amount of conviction because I get a ton of Keenan Allen. Um, I came yeah. back from New York with Keenan Allen, also came back with Brandon Ayuk on the roster. You would appreciate that. Um, I but do, I, like yes. I get I like this is a rank that I that I actually follow. This isn't one of those ranks that I just sort of plug in like, hey, we got to have Tyree kill somewhere, but I don't get him all over the place. But like I get a lot of Keenan Allen. And I suppose if the rest of the industry has him like four or five spots lower, where we're drafting him, um, I, I get him all the time. Here's what it looks like over the last five seasons for Keenan Allen. An average Keenan Allen season, average, uh, 102 receptions, 1,184 receiving yards, six and a half touchdowns. Like that's a, it's a pretty good year. Averaging over 100 receptions a year for five years, pretty yeah. good. Um, did it last, like, you know, we've all got Justin Herbert as like a as like a top three or a top five quarterback. And I think everyone allows for the possibility that Herbert could be the number one overall. Um, he's going to he's going to throw the ball to Keenan Allen like 150, 160 times. So if you believe in Justin Herbert, by default, you have to believe in Keenan Allen. I, I know that he's not the guy that they necessarily lean on when they get inside the 10 yard line. Right. Like he's not he doesn't have that Mike Williams profile. Exactly. He, he's still a guy who is a lock to catch a hundred passes in a healthy season. And you can only like, what am I going to do with a guy like that? Like, I know, I literally know he's catching triple digit passes. Everybody behind him. I don't have that same sense of confidence. So, uh, yeah, a guy like that creeps into the, into the top 10 for me. Yeah. Uh, I'm the third highest ranker on Keenan Allen for us. Uh, Scott's got him at 11. I've got him at 15. I'm the biggest hedge dork, uh, because I've got, <laughs> We actually have Mike Williams, and I think we can talk about Williams as an extension of Keenan Allen because I think they kind of go together. I've got Mike Williams 16. You've got Mike Williams 16, but I've got uh, Allen 15, him 16. So I'm hedging on, like, maybe there's a chance that Mike Williams could be better than Keenan Allen this year. We'll come back to that. Dalton is the lowest on Keenan Allen, by the way. Dalton, the ultimate ageist, uh, has him at <laughs> 19. I was looking through all of our rankings just to, as a side note uh, to compare yours to mine and stuff like that. And Dalton, just anybody that's young and promising, he's shooting. And I love this about Dalton. He's shooting them up. But anybody that's like kind of on the back nine, potentially of their career, they're 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 going down Dalton's Dalton's list there. So he's got Allen at 19. Yeah, I like I get that. I understand. Um, just taking nothing but big swings on guys that you think can deliver it. Like, I don't I don't think Keenan Allen's going to have the Cooper Cup season. Right. I think that's. No. um that that is, by the way, why I why I've got Justin Jefferson where I have. I think somewhere down the line, probably really soon, there's just a total supernova Je Justin Jefferson season 100%. that is unlike almost anything we've ever seen. And I want to like I've got him number two overall. Like I want Justin Jefferson any place I can get him. Um, I think it's wild that he falls to like five and six sometimes. I'll I'll gladly take him above that. Anyway, um, that that season is not in the cards for Keenan Allen, but he's just. He's just settled into a range that that can't miss. Um, I'm not yeah. like you're just not going to go broke drafting Keenan Allen. Um, he would have to get hurt 
for this rank not to hold because if he simply plays 15 games, I just I know that's 95 or more catches. And Dalton is the only one of us who has Mike Williams over Keenan Allen, but he's he's also just like me. He's got a one spot apart. He's got Mike Williams 18. Uh, so he's actually lower than than us on Mike Williams. Uh, and he's and like Keenan everybody, Allen, like everybody 19. who ranks knows what we're doing when we do that. Like when I, you know, oh, if I, they have if I stick Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf back to back, if I stick like Rashad Penny and Ken Walker, I have back to back like, you know what I'm doing. Yeah. You better know. You better know that like <laughs> it's it's a it's a freaking coin flip. You know, that's basically what we're trying to tell you. But anyways, with Mike, do you think there's any chance that Mike Williams is just better than Keenan Allen this year? And what would it take? Because I offer for my money here with the Mike Williams thing, everybody almost <laughs> this is the funny thing about fantasy sometimes is I, I think for me personally, I always thought that Mike Williams was better than what the old staff had him doing, you know, just running go routes and just ha- like, especially when Philip Rivers was there getting those like lollipop rivers, deep passes into contested situations down the field. Like the Anthony Lynn staff, I think was too limited in what they were using. So I, I know I wasn't the only one calling for this, but you know, having Mike Williams run more traditional shorter routes or whatever. And then we saw that kind of in the first four weeks of the season, but like, it almost seems like there's some in the fantasy world that want to take that like the next step and just like have Mike Williams be used as a true number one alpha receiver. But like he ain't that guy either, you know, so it, it almost kind of seems like we found a good spot with Mike Williams last year and he should kind of stick in that. I mean, I think there's definitely a path for Mike Williams to be not just better than Keenan Allen for fantasy, but also like, a, I don't know, what's the ceiling for him? Top five receiver, top three receiver. Um, if we think that Justin Herbert is an MVP candidate, and I think most people do, it seems in play for Justin Herbert to finish the season with like 40 something combined touchdowns, another 5,000 yard season. Like that's totally in play. If that happens, there's a, I mean, why, why can't Mike Williams score 14 touchdowns? You know, he's, he's yeah. huge. They like him in the red zone. They like him. They like him on deep stuff. That's definitely in play. I mean, somebody's having an outlier touchdown season if Justin Herbert does everything that we think he can. And and Williams is probably the strongest candidate for that. He's gotta he's gotta stay healthy for for 15, 16 games. That's been an issue for him. The the high variance weeks have been an issue for him. That's not that's not everybody's cup of tea. I don't mind it. Um, I'd prefer I'd prefer to have that high variance guy as like my wide receiver three. I don't love having that as my as the first wide receiver that I take. But he's, you know, I, I think that's definitely in play. I think a, I think certainly a top 10. Like if, if we're ranking a guy in the top 20, it is definitely foreseeable for us that that Mike Williams finishes higher than that in the top 10. Right. At some point, it's just all about health. Like I've got some really good players where I've, you know, going through my wide receiver ranks this morning. I've got some really good players who I've drafted a fair amount of who are still ranked in the 30s. And some of it is just that nobody's hurt yet. Right. Like there's a yeah, lot exactly. of good receivers out there and you got to rank them all somewhere. Yeah, no, receiver's a tough, tough spot because there's so many good players. I would just argue that Mike Williams is a high-variance player, and he will therefore always be a high-variance performer. I argued kind of the same thing about Amari Cooper, who always would finish high in, in annual fantasy standings, but we know the journey to get to those end numbers was not always clean, and I think that's just because high-variance player, high-variance production, sometimes that goes hand-in-hand. Man, uh, Amari Cooper is such an interesting name to throw in here because I don't, off the top of my head, I don't even know where I have him ranked, but he's one of those guys. In fact, he might be the first guy on the draft board where 
when his name is next in queue, I just go to a different position. Like I've yeah. not drafted Amari Cooper and it's nothing really against him. I don't think he's a, I don't think he's a star. I don't like I don't like the possibility of like at least two months of Jacoby Brissett as his quarterback. I don't like anything about it. And wherever I've got him ranked, I never take him there, which is probably yeah. a sign that I need to re-rank him because um, I've, n- I've never drafted him. <laughs> you and I have in the same spot, wide receiver 24, <laughs> and I'm sitting there thinking like, I when in the way that it seemed as if Deshaun was going to miss six games, you know, it's a cold like fantasy can be cold and calculating. You had to bump him up from I had him at wide receiver 30. And now I'm looking at him at wide receiver 24 with guys like, you know, Juju, Jerry Judy, Darnell Mooney, Amon Ross St. Brown, Rashad Bateman, Elijah Moore, Gabe Davis behind him. I'm like, I think I'd actually now we, what we know now, I think I'm going to bang him back down a few spots yep. again. So yep. I agree with you totally on Amari Cooper. Another guy that you have ranked higher than consensus and I think it's just good to talk about because you're really bullish on Cortland Sutton, wide receiver 14. I still really have trouble projecting this Denver situation um, was on the athletic football show with uh, Robert Mays and talked about this wide receiver core and kind of the fallout after Tim Patrick and where these guys might line up. Cause Robert was the one who sort of reported and, and put it out there that Tim Patrick might play in this big slot receiver role. And I was like, great, that's golden um, a couple of months ago. Cause that was what I wanted to see out of Tim Patrick and have Jerry Judy play that outside flanker role. Cortland Sutton. I don't think they're going to move him from the X receiver position, you know, because he's the only guy that can really play there, but he would be the only one that would have some oomph as the big slot there. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I haven't moved Cortland Sutton at all in the post Tim Patrick fallout world. I believe I have him wide receiver 19 because I don't want to move him ahead of Allen Robinson. I still want to have a flag planted <laughs> on Allen Robinson, but Cortland Sutton, tell us, g- give us the bull case for Cortland Sutton. Yeah. One thing I've learned about Cortland Sutton is I don't have to take him anywhere near this rank. Um, I'm, I'm clearly an outlier on Sutton, not just in our group, but, but industry wide as well. Um, because he like, I get a lot of Court, Cortland Sutton. I, where would you normally have to take the wide receiver 14? That's like back end of maybe back end of round two, somewhere in round three. Well, he doesn't go there, right? Like I can yeah. get him later than that. Um, one thing I like about Cortland Sutton, and this is relative to Jerry Judy, is that Cortland Sutton has actually done it. Like we've seen a huge Cortland yep. Sutton season and he did it with Joe Flacco and Drew Locke, right? Like I'm like, he's checked that box. I'm not still waiting for the first big Cortland Sutton season, which is a big deal. He's got, he's got size. There's been a steady drumbeat of, you know, Russ loves Cortland and Cortland loves Russ. Um, from the moment that trade happened, I don't like to read too much into it, but this has like the the not the not exactly the cup Stafford we're the best of friends we breakfast together vibe but it's a it's a strong vibe um I like that (laughs) mostly my difference between the Sutton rank and the Judy rank is really that I've seen Sutton do it he's another year removed from the injury plenty of steady camp buzz and I didn't I didn't move him at all after the Patrick injury like for me that was a little bit of a bump for Judy it was a little bit of a bump for Alberto little bit for Hamler. I had to remind myself that Hamler was still in this picture and probably a bigger part of the picture, but I didn't, I didn't touch Sutton at all. I've had him steadily as a, as a pretty high end wide receiver too throughout. Yeah. I bumped Jerry Judy up in response to Tim Patrick and we now are at the same spot with Judy. We're both at wide receiver 25, which I think represents the upside and the downside case for Jerry Judy. Cause I do think there's, a, frankly, I think there's a downside case for both of these guys. Cause we have seen the reason that I kind of came down on, are you going to be a Judy guy? Or are you going to be a Sutton guy? It kind of feels like at this point, nobody is a Judy over Sutton person, or at least that's like a very fringe opinion. So it didn't start out that way. Like the, the start did, yeah. of best ball season, people were all about Judy. I think 
people realize that Judy has not totally put it together yet. And I, frankly, both of these guys, like both of their reception perceptions were below, you know, peak last year, Sutton included. Like you mentioned that he has had the best season on his resume between these two guys. And that is certainly true. It was kind of a long time ago. I mean, 2019, I hate to say it, was an awful long time ago. Yeah. Um, and, you know, 2020 completely wiped out. Last year, he just didn't play that well as an individual. You know, he's got to wear some of the blame for being completely unproductive once Jerry Judy was back out there because he just wasn't separating that well. And he's never going to be, you know, like a top end, top 10 separator or anything like that. But he was decidedly above average in 2019 right where you want to see a player of his archetype. And last year he just wasn't. So I, I do think we've seen guys. This is something I hope to, to put, to put something together like in the next few weeks, but we've seen guys be expected to lose a decent bit of separation ability in the first year off in ACL. So I think you kind of have to write that. If you want to be in on uh Courtland Sutton, like you are this year, I think you have to totally write off what he did last year and just ignore it. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, that's an issue for both players too, right? Because Judy was, Judy was playing yep. through injury last year. So I don't, I don't want to hold that against him necessarily. It's just, it's just easier for me to believe in you if I've seen you do it over the course of most of a full season. And I'm, you know, I, I've had this conversation before on the, on the pod, like the guys, I don't know, there, there's some people just in the industry that, that believe in a different timeline on, on, ACL recoveries than I seem to, right? Like there's people who are just yeah. all in on Chris Godwin right away who are like, can't wait for Michael Gallup to get back on the field. And like these things across, not just the NFL, but all sports, we see it constantly that like the second year after an ACL yeah. um, return is, is really the year where you start to get your, your feet under you and you're back to your normal self. And Dudes talk about that all the time too, where like they'll return in, you know, 11 months, but they don't, they don't feel like the old version of themselves and it just takes time. So I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not erasing everything that happened or didn't happen for Sutton last year, but I do expect him to be better. And every, like everything we've heard all summer has been really positive. Not that, not again, not that you should read too much into that. If it's not positive, we should really react to it. But if, you know, it's been be better positive than not, I guess is all I'll say. Yeah, uh, like I said, I hope to have something uh, put together on ACLs in the first year back and whatever, but I'm I'm with you that I don't want to buy on on any of these ACL tear guys this year. Uh yeah. like give me give me Chris Godwin, Michael Gallup, etc. in 2023, not 2022. Um but let's move on to uh, another guy that you're high on before we kind of move into some negative stuff. Alan Lazard, man, you you've got the flag planted on Alan Lazard at wide receiver 33. I didn't realize that I was so far behind everybody on Lazard. I've got him at wide receiver 50. Scott's got him 39. Dalton's got him 34. So why am I the one? I'm the one, I'm the one tanking out Lazard in the Yahoo consensus rankings. What, what am I, what am I missing here? Man, look at Dalton coming up for, for a long time. It had been, it had really just been me and Dave Kluge um, ranking Alan Lazard as a guy <laughs> yeah. that you really want to draft. And I don't, I don't know. Is that the company I want to be in? Maybe, maybe it is. Maybe it's not. Who knows? It's a question worth asking. It definitely <laughs> is a question worth asking. But Kluge and I have been really bullish on him. And this is, I, you know, I don't, Going, on, I'm going on Chris Harris's podcast tomorrow, and I always have Harris as like the little devil on my shoulder, telling me that I'm about to make a crutch argument, and that is happening right now. Um, but like, there's, I, I, I love Chris Harris, but you got to hate when you when he is the devil on your shoulder. Yes, a, yeah, you know, like Chris can't possibly be the angel on your shoulder, right? Chris is definitely the devil. Uh, on I said your what I said for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, 
I, you know, some of this is is purely about opportunity. Obviously, there's there's two there's over 240 targets available there when you consider the just just among the three wide receiver departures in St. Brown, MVS, and and Devonte Adams. Like they're gone. That's 240 targets. That's, that's a ton of targets and then you listen to Aaron <laughs> Rodgers talk about him Aaron Rodgers so far in the offseason has called him basically the undisputed wide receiver one he's called him a hall of famer I don't even know that that was tongue-in-cheek right he literally said we're going from one hall of famer to another hall of famer in our wide receiver I one. think um, that was probably more about you know burning back or, or you know having some fun with his friend Devonte Adams but he still said it and he and he's been like a Alan Lazard guy like he had him over you know for Thanksgiving three years ago like, this is the other thing boys. like when Alan Lazard was a rookie Aaron Rodgers asked asked for more Alan Lazard like he was he was literally yeah. asking for him in the middle of the season um big body six five I don't think that Alan Lazard does does everything really well I don't I don't mean to say that he's secretly been Devonte Adams all along right I don't think that's the case I don't, th his hands aren't, you know, the equal of Devante's. He's not the separator that Devante is. There's not, I'm not, I'm not making that case. I'm just simply saying that if you still believe in the back-to-back -back MVP, um, who's been like the most efficient quarterback of all time, basically, uh, if you believe in Aaron Rodgers' skill, then he's going to turn somebody into a fantasy star. And the Packers have this, they also have this long history of like, slow playing the development of receivers who end up great. Um, James Jones broke out in like year five or six, something like that. Um, Jordy Nelson, obviously like three or four years in Devante was a punchline in his first season and they got him there. I, I don't think it's wild at all to think like, I don't, I don't think that Alan Lazard is some sort of burner. Who's gonna, who's gonna give you 1400 yards, 1500 yards. If I thought he had that in his profile, listen, I'd have him wide receiver 16. I'd have him wide receiver sure. 15, something like that. I don't think that's out there. But like, whatever that James Jones season was, right, which was like 800 yards and 14 touchdowns, I think that is totally in play for Lazard. The first big Devontae season, which was like 900 yards and double-digit touchdowns, I think that's totally in play. I find it, I find it hard to believe that no one is going to catch 9, 10, 12 touchdowns from Aaron Rodgers this year. And I think Lazard is the most is the most likely candidate for that. Yeah, I guess he doesn't have a bad floor projection. And there certainly is a ceiling case there because I've said this a few times about the Packers guys is that I think this is a group where nobody goes 900 to, you know, 1100 yards, but maybe six or seven guys between the receivers, the running backs and the tight ends go between 500 and 800 and but I think Lazard is the safest bet to to do that it is the safest one that you can lock in on this roster to do that so I don't know if I'm going to jump him up as high as you have him but I think I probably want to move him to the top of wide receiver tier seven you know over some other guys that don't have a very good floor projection man but, if that but if that scenario the scenario you're discussing, if that actually plays out, you should probably get some Aaron Rodgers MVP shares because I, I like assuming you think the Packers are going to be a, a good team, right? Um, that has yeah. no receiver with like 900 yards and Rodgers still has a big season and they still win like 12, 13 games or whatever. Like that's all, that's all going to be placed on, uh, on Aaron Rodgers. We're going to be, um, we're going to be celebrating him like, like, I don't know, like he hasn't been celebrated in the last two years. Uh, because there's an easy narrative there, right? You lose Devontae Adams and still lead your team yeah. to a division title or whatever. You should definitely have some MVP shares for Rodgers. I guess my thing is I don't think that Rodgers is going to have that season this year. I mean, in fantasy, I have him ranked quarterback 12. 
And I kind of want to put Trey Lance at quarterback 12 ahead of Aaron Rodgers. But, oh, shoot. I've um, got Lance now at like seven. I've got Lance now at yeah. like seven or eight. I know I'm soft. I need to move him up higher than some of these. But that's also that's also a position where you you should do the Dalton Del Don thing and you should take huge swings, right? If you think there's any Absolutely, chance that yeah. you think there's any chance that Trey Lance can be the QB one, then you should be drafting him, you know, ahead of Stafford, Carr, Cousins, uh, Rogers, all those guys, because you can always replace a quarterback in a one QB league. A hundred percent. And yeah, I think with Rogers, just I would talk about that on the pod with uh, Josh last week is that I do think the pace of this offense is going to be a problem for Aaron Rodgers, And um, just a, I don't think it's going to be the same efficient passing offense. It's been the last two years, just based on some natural regression, but also the fact that everybody talked, we're going to talk about Devontae Adams. Everybody talks about Devontae Adams losing Aaron Rodgers. Well, Aaron Rodgers is also losing Devontae Adams, who I think is no question the best wide receiver in football. I think that's going to shave off more of this passing game. And we think the best two players on this offense besides Aaron Rodgers are the running backs. I think they're going to yeah. be a run heavy team. The defense is going to be better. So I guess I don't think that Rodgers is going to have that kind of crazy season as he's had the last two years, but I still think there's going to be a lot of, guys producing in this passing game one, one of the sense. guys who can really screw up my lazard plans is aaron jones for sure like there's a i can imagine aaron jones just catching 85 balls and he's the leading yeah. receiver for the packers and then and then the lazard thing just never quite happens and this is i guess when you do projections and when you do rankings based off your projections these things do have to, i always say the math has to add up like yes if you're yeah. gonna sink one player you're you're gonna have to you know make it up in some other way, and I do have Aaron Jones ranked well ahead of consensus at running back six, um, so I'm I'm kind of on that side, right? That I think that he messes things up for all of these receivers. So it, we're, you're helping me sort of justify myself here a little <laughs> bit, and this was really your section. So um, we've we've gone enough uh, on on those type of guys that you're higher on alone. Let's talk about some guys where we are both ahead of consensus, Andy. We're both high on Juju Smith-Schuster. Um, I think we sort of alluded to it the last time we talked on the podcast, but I want you to fully explain your Juju Smith-Schuster enthusiasm because you've got him at wide receiver 18. Um, I've got him at wide receiver 25, and I'm like eight spots ahead of you know Fantasy Pros consensus rankings. You're way higher on Juju, and I think that you've you've got the beat on this situation, in my opinion. Yeah, um, some of this is, first of all, he's going from last year's version, like the recent version of Ben Roethlisberger to the current version of Patrick Mahomes is just a wild upgrade, right? Like all due Huge, respect yeah. to, to Ben's career um, in these last couple seasons, he is not, you know, he's not been vintage Ben exactly. And they've it, Juju's usage went from a, a guy who could actually get targeted downfield to a guy, you know, over the last couple of years they just let Juju catch the ball within five yards of the line of scrimmage. And that's pretty much it. And he gets what he can get. And he was averaging like eight yards of rece a reception. I don't think that's going to be the case anymore at all. Um, we've already seen in camp, Juju is getting downfield. He's getting targeted downfield. He's making highlight plays. Um, he seems to have separated himself from the rest of the Chiefs receivers. Uh, I don't think that's super surprising. Juju, you know, and this was a little bit of the argument with Cortland Sutton, like Juju's actually had an amazing season in the NFL. He has a 1400 yard, you know, 111 catch season on the resume. I like to see that. I like to see prior production. The other, the other thing about him, even though he's been in the league, it feels like he's been in the league forever. Um, he's 25 years old. He's, he's yeah. like a year <laughs> older than Nicole Hardman. He's two years younger than MVS. He's a year younger than Mahomes, right? Like he fits the timeline of this team perfectly. 
and I, I like I get it. They didn't make some. Well, he's old and it's a Dalton Del Don. He's old because he's thirty one in Dalton's ranking. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like you know, I, you've you've crossed into the old threshold. Maybe maybe Dalton. I'm not looking at Dalton's rankings right now, but maybe he's one of the like. There's a right answer here, and and there are people who will tell you that it's Sky Moore and it's going to be Sky Moore right away. I don't think it's like. I think MVS is probably going to ultimately look a lot like he has the last couple seasons in Green Bay when it's going right. Um, I don't think that's going to be terribly different. I don't mean to suggest that I think Juju is anything like Tyreek Hill as a player. I, I don't. But I do think he's a guy who can come into 130, 140 targets. Those are available here. Talk about the vacated wide receiver targets in Green Bay. Well, there's like 260 of them. In, in Kansas City, and these are Patrick Mahomes' targets. So I just, I feel like there doesn't have to be one right answer here is is the other thing. Like we can find 100 targets for Hardman and we can find yeah. 80 targets for Sky Moore and we can still find 140 for uh, for Juju. Yeah, um, Juju, uh, like I said, I'm ahead of consensus on him. I think this is the first time in human history I'm uh, high on Juju <laughs> relative to other folks out there. Um, I think he's gone from being one of the most overrated receivers in the NFL to being one of the most underrated receivers. And I think he fits perfectly with where the Chiefs are, are trying to go. No quarterback last year faced more dropbacks against zone coverage than Patrick Mahomes last year. That was a huge talking point. The too high, you know, stuff with Mahomes and, and all that. And Juju's been one of the best zone beating receivers since he got into the NFL, like top 15 all time zone beater uh, in RP. So like. I, that matches up really well with the way teams are trying to, to play them. He's never been the best like press man beater, but who cares? He's not going to have to be that guy this year. And I agree with you. It was adorable that in mini camp folks thought like, Oh, MVS, like he's going to be, but then they actually start playing some real football, <laughs> sort of real football in training camp. And now it's an actual football player in Juju, not the, you know, one trick pony guy. That's the, that's the big player. So I'm with you. I think Juju has a chance to be, the right answer like a Cooper Cup was or Debo Samuel was in the mid-ish rounds uh, at wide receiver this year. And I feel pretty good about that. And, and you feel even better about that, Andy. I do. That's a that's a really good call because he kind of goes, he almost goes beyond like that RB dead zone where we can always find these guys who break out. Depends on platform. Like this is one of the, like I feel like over the last week or so, I've, I've drafted at least one team on like 19 different fantasy platforms. And sometimes Juju is just absolutely buried. It's not, it's not so much yeah. the case at Yahoo, probably because of where you and I have him ranked. But uh, some places he's just absolutely buried and he goes well outside like the top 100. Yeah, that's crazy to me. All right, we'll talk about more players where Andy and I are on the same page in, in terms of our rankings right after this break. Searching for NBA playoff coverage? We've got you. The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, gives you an inside look into the world of sports. Hosted by former NBA sharpshooter and Duke legend J.J. Redick and sports writer Tommy Alter, The Old Man and the Three offers unprecedented access to the league. Tommy and J.J. discuss the NBA and interview some of the biggest names in the league, like Devin Booker and Luka Doncic. NBA final season is the perfect time to dive in, and you can listen to The Old Man and the Three wherever you get your podcasts. To hear episodes brought to you by BMW. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. All right, we're back. And before we talk about another player that we're both high on, I want to talk about a player that we're both lower on. Uh, and that's Jalen Waddle. And I'm sure you've got him at wide receiver 17. I've got him even lower at wide receiver 22. You're a few spots lower than consensus, right? Like, I mean, he, but he does go top 15 consistently at the wide receiver position. I don't know if this is one where for me personally, it's a, the situation is just murky 
I love the player, yeah. but the situation is murky. So where are you at with Jalen Waddle this year? Yeah, this is also one of, I mean, you mentioned before the idea that you have to make the math work on all of this. And can can we really have Tyree Kill as like the number 10 receiver and Jalen Waddle is like the number 14 or 15 receiver. And yet Tua is still outside of our top 15 or top 16. Like it's pretty rare, I would imagine. I don't, you know, I'm talking out of my ass here a little bit, but I would imagine that it's pretty rare for an offense yeah. to produce two top 15 fantasy receivers without having a top 15 fantasy quarterback, right? Like there's, there are enough open questions about Tua that I'm not, I'm not sure he can support. I, th- I think he can. I mean, I, I, I don't know if you would have told me that I was, if you would have asked me if I was above or below consensus on Jalen Waddle, I think I would have got this wrong. I, I, I would have felt like I really like Jalen Waddle, the player thought it was I thought it was weird, but also um, probably right the way they used him last year. Um, obviously, he's a guy with with elite speed by NFL standards, and they didn't really let him get downfield a lot. But that was probably the right answer because they couldn't block anything last year either. Um, maybe that maybe that looks a little bit different this year. I, I, obviously, it's a great receiver tandem. Um, is Tua going to be able to support two like week in, week out? Gotta start him. Can't send him to the bench. Fantasy commodities. I've still got it ranked that way, but I'm but I, I would hedge a little bit on a team, too, that we expect if coaching tendencies hold to be pretty run heavy. Right. I think if you're going to justify these two guys, because I can't I can't not rank Tyree Kill in the top 10 receivers. And maybe I, I should have a little more fortitude uh, <laughs> to do it, but I can't. He's still, in my opinion, that good. And yeah. they trade all these assets to get him. It seems like they are going to make him the featured part of this passing game, right? And I think he's still good enough to to be that guy. Everybody on our site, Dalton's the lowest on him at, ele- at 11. Scott and I are 9. You're 10. Jalen Waddle is just tough to, to figure out what to do. I think you kind of have to assume that Mike Gusecki is a total non-factor, which, by the yeah. way, he might be a total non-factor. Um, there's, <laughs> he's trying to like learn how to block in camp, which, again, I think speaks to the <laughs> philosophical tendencies of this team. Yeah, um, learning how to block several years into your NFL career is probably not the the place you want to be. Exactly, I don't I don't have Gasecki ranked aggressively at all. There's no chance I'll There's no chance I'll get that guy. There's always flyers that I like at tight end that are better than, um, in my view, than Mike Gasecki that have a greater path to touches. I can't I can't make room for unless it's Chase Edmonds. I can't really make room for a third pass catcher in this offense who's yeah. going to do anything. I'm very much in on Chase Edmonds, though. Uh, not a wide receiver discussion, but I'm, I'm in on him where he goes and being uh, ahead of consensus. So, yeah, I don't think I'm going to have a lot of Jalen Waddle this year. And if a scenario comes to pass where Jalen Waddle's better than Tyree Kill, which I don't think is totally impossible, I, you know, I'll miss the boat on that one. And I, I think that's just kind of it is what it is. OK, let's talk about Gabe Davis. We're both low ish on Gabe Davis. I mean, talk about platform sensitive drafting, which he just <laughs> did with uh, with Juju where you draft your fantasy team is going to depend a lot on on whether you get Gabe Davis, I I think, and where you, where you're going to have to draft him. We have him in the same range. You've got him 30. I've got him 31. Dalton is of course on, on Yahoo, the the highest because, you know, taking big swings, baby. We love Dalton for that. Elsewhere in the industry, Dalton's in line. It's like this wide receiver 16 ranking. So upside case, (sighs) downside case for Gabe Davis. I feel, I feel like it's just real spicy to, I feel totally comfortable with where I have him, and I think it represents the upside and downside case. But I don't, Andy. If if we use our rankings again on certain platforms, we are never, ever, never ever going him. to draft Gabe Davis. 
Yeah. And I've like, I've landed him in a couple of spots. There's, there's often, there's somebody who is extremely bullish on him and will draft him sort of in line with, uh, with Dalton's rank. Um, so I don't get him everywhere, but I've got him in a couple of places. So I, he's not one of those guys where like, oh man, Gabe Davis is up in queue. I can't, I can't take a receiver now that I don't want any part of that. Yeah. I don't feel that way. Um, he's still close to like, Bateman and that whole big group of guys where we don't know, you know, where we're, we're expecting a leap, but we haven't seen it. Um, we haven't seen it yet. So it's tough to, it's tough to rank those guys for me inside the top 20. The other thing with Davis is that he's, you know, Bateman's situation is this guy, this guy might be the wide receiver one on his team. And there's, there's really no path there for, for Davis. Um, as long as Stefan Diggs is healthy, Stefan Diggs is going to be the guy who vacuums up most of the targets. And Davis is probably more of a high variance player. They've since he entered the league, they've loved him, you know, in goal to go situations. They love him in the red zone. They'll target him there. That's really valuable. Some of this is probably also, and I don't know, maybe there's signature significance to like a four touchdown game in the playoffs, right? But but some of our collective bullishness about Gabe Davis has to be the the final note that he that he went out on. Of course, it was a yeah, brilliant game. I agree. Super, like the routes were super fun. Um, he was cooking people. It was awesome. That was Josh Allen at his absolute best. Um, Guys are also falling over back there in the, in the secondary. Yes. Like you don't have a four, you don't have a four touchdown game unless some of the defenders are, are screwing it up on their end and like falling on their ass. But that's just a side note. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, like I also don't feel like it's it's. I don't feel like there's a clear hierarchy in in Buffalo's receiving core because I think they really like McKenzie. Yeah, I, I think Allen really likes Dawson Knox. Like, I think there's a real chance that Dawson Knox leads all pass catchers on this team in touchdowns. And that maybe, like, I feel like people are banking on a, a 12 touchdown season for Davis. It's out there. I just feel like he's a, and some of this is his role as like a supporting receiver in the offense. There's just always going to be um, a, a wider range of outcomes for a player like that because. Gabe is not guaranteed 120 targets. You know, if I'm if I'm drafting a guy as a fantasy starter, I want to I want to be sure that like the opportunity is going to be there almost every week. But I've also said earlier that I don't mind having a guy who can have these spike weeks that just, you know, you win. Like when Gabe Davis goes off, you win because when Gabe Davis goes off, it's 210 yards and three touchdowns. He may only do it twice during the season, but you've won those weeks. And if you time it right, like that's awesome. But but a guy like that is also prone to like a three catch um, 30 yard performance. That's that's out there for him, too. That's what happens when guys see 95, 100 targets instead of like 130. Um, and, and that I feel like I'm, you know, as you expressed it in fewer words, better than I am right now. Um, there, there's just a there's a wider range with a with a guy like Davis. And we have to account for both things. We can't like you rank players. You can't just account for the upside. Um, which maybe that's what Dalton does. And that's fun. That's fine. But you can't just account for the upside. You've got to account for the downside as well. And by the way, at the end of the season last year, Gabe Davis had already received the promotion that that we are all baking into our right. projections. It's a really good point. Year. He had already received that promotion because Sanders was basically thrown to the bench. They weren't really doing much with Cole Beasley either. I do think the trade-off from Beasley to McKenzie probably matters a little bit, but not that much. And he had that 200-yard game with four touchdowns in the playoffs. But the regular season finale, he was terrible. He had <laughs> double-digit targets and under 40 yards, just like you painted. And did did he really change as an individual player from the final week of the regular season to that incredible game against the Chiefs? No, and I don't think he's changed that much from now to then. I think he is 
the epitome of a player like we talked about earlier, where he's a volatile player. He will be a volatile producer. I think he's like a Devontae Parker type of talent who's, in my opinion, an average starting NFL receiver. But he's a Devontae Parker type talent in, you know, the best situation possible, yeah. like a situation that a receiver like that only dreams of. So I think we're I don't know. I feel like we've got this situation right, because I think if you're going to rank Gabe Davis inside the top 20 there, you actually do have to sort of imagine a situation on the range of outcomes where he's better than Stefan Diggs this year. And I think there is a 0.0% yes. chance that happens. Yeah, that is exactly where I come down. Like, there's no way that he is outproducing a healthy Stefan Diggs. It has absolutely no chance to happen. And that's a that that's just a limiting factor. Yeah, and I think he's got just as much upside as some of the players that you talked about in his tier were like Rashad Bateman, you know, Amon Ra St. Brown, who were both in, I feel like I've talked about Amon Ra St. Brown so much on this podcast, <laughs> I won't relitigate it again, but we're both higher than consensus on him. You've got him 27, I've got him 28, we're, we're right in lockstep on that one, but I don't think that Gabe Davis has so much more upside than Bateman, St. Brown, Darnell Mooney, uh, yeah. Elijah Moore, these type of guys where I need to rank him a tier above these players. I think they all belong in the same tier together. And that's that's just that's just what it what it is, man. So um, I don't think we uh, let's before we move on to the Raiders here and wrap up the podcast. No shock. We went so long on these wide receivers. I couldn't, <laughs> couldn't imagine that happening. You're kind of I, I want to hit on this uh, because we had a little discussion in the email about it. Like. You're lower sort of mildly on con than consensus on some of these sketchy quarterback situation wide receivers. You know, you're, you're the more guys, DJ Moore and Elijah yeah. Moore. You're, you're a little lower on Deontay Johnson. I'm actually lower than consensus on Deontay Johnson by two spots, which seems crazy because I'm like the biggest Deontay Johnson honk on the face of the earth. <laughs> um, but anyways, talk to me a little bit about how you're approaching wide receivers that I think we all love the ability but have the sketchy quarterback situations. Um, I know how I've been approaching them, but I want to hear your reasoning on it. Yeah, there's absolutely no way that Deontay Johnson wasn't citing reception perception when he was in contract talks, right? Like you're, you're about as <laughs> bullish on Deontay as it, as it gets in the industry. I'm, I'm looking, this, still looking for a percentage of that contract. Then if that's the case, <laughs> I didn't even, I, I didn't even recognize that, that I was, that I was lower than consensus on the Moors and on Deontay until, until we put this, this rundown together for the show, because again, this is a case where I, I've, I've landed some of these guys. It's not like I'm, you know, I don't have Deontay on the do not draft list. I certainly don't have DJ Moore on the do not draft list. I think he's awesome, but there is, you know, there's a, there's a little bit of a tax that you have to pay when your quarterback situation is either Baker Mayfield or Sam Darnold, probably going to be Baker Mayfield. Yes. I still like, I don't know, but maybe Baker can have a 30 touchdown season, but that, like, I'm, I'm not, I wouldn't bank on it. Um, we, we haven't seen it. Uh, and with Deontay, I mean, we're going to get at least a half a season of Mitch Trubisky. It seems to be headed that way. I have, I have no faith that they're going to be as, you know, they're, they were one of the most extreme pass heavy teams last year in the NFL. I think, I think like fourth or fifth in pass attempts overall, I, I doubt we're going to see that. I would expect them to lean on Najee even more than they did last year. So I don't, I don't know that that volume is going to be there. I have very little faith in Trubisky. Not that, not that he's, you know, some massive downgrade again from the 2021 version of Ben Roethlisberger, but I don't, I don't have a lot of faith in, faith in the quarterback, faith in the offense. Elijah Moore, I mean, the last time we podcasted together, I, I talked about him as a guy who could just absolutely erupt as a star. I'm probably yeah. too low on him. I don't. 
I don't know what I'm going to get from from Zach Wilson. I like yeah. some of the traits that Zach Wilson has, but also if you told me that Zach Wilson was on the verge of a 2,800 yard passing season, I would say that's definitely in play as well. <laughs> oh, <no>. <laughs> and like we have to account for that stuff. Um, it's like it's not great when everybody's like, "Wow, Joe Flacco looks really good in camp." You know, like that's not great. Um, no, yeah, it's not great. So uh, that that impacts where I have these guys. No question about it. If we were to if we were to redraft the actual real life NFL from scratch, I would have D- DJ Moore much higher. I would have Deontay much higher. But that's not what we're doing here. We have to, you right. know, we're we're dealing with team context as well. Yeah, I think there's so many good receivers out there. If you want to be someone that breaks ties in favor of not drafting guys with <laughs> when Baker Mayfield's like the clear best player of this group that we just talked yeah. about, maybe Zach Wilson takes the leap. But, you know, that's kind of a tough scene. So I, I totally understand. And that. I feel I feel like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm at least being, you know, sort of honest on the other side of this thing as well. The players that I'm really high on are tied to Patrick Mahomes. They're tied to yep. Aaron Rodgers. Right. Like I I want an inner circle Hall of Fame quarterback, all, like all of the things being equal. Not a bad way to go about it, Andy. Not a bad way to go about it. All right, Raider Nation. I know we may be outnumbered, but I need to hear it. Raiders! 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 All right, let's talk Raiders here before we get out of here. I want to start with this because this is the, the one of the things with the Raiders that I think really matters. In order, in my opinion, Andy, in order for these guys like Devontae Adams, Hunter Renfro, Darren Waller to all hit in the passing game and for Derek Carr to kind of continue to, I don't know if he wants to take another step, whatever it is, but you have to believe that Josh McDaniels is going to run an extremely fast paced offense that throws the piss out of the ball. Now, if you do projections and you lean heavily on like the last three years of play calling data, which I said on the podcast with Josh last week, that's what my projections lean on. The Raiders offense doesn't look like that because the Patriots over the last few years and Josh McDaniels, offensive coordinator, obviously, and uh, Mick Lombardi, uh, the quarter, the offensive coordinator now for the Raiders came from that staff as well. They were kind of playing boomer ball. Uh, over there with the Patriots because they had you know Cam <laughs> Newton. They had a rookie quarterback last year. So my projections don't have the Raiders looking like that, but that's why you don't rank just based off your projections. You also have to bake in a range of outcomes here. So what do you think this offense looks like with Josh McDaniels at the at the head? I think I think there's no chance that you trade for Devontae Adams and pay Devontae Adams and then throw the ball 510 times. Like, I don't think no, that's happening. Yeah. I think what you're describing in New England in recent seasons is entirely about who was quarterbacking those teams and the, the you know, the strength of the the running game on those teams and not really a reflection of what they would do in an ideal situation. I think this is an incredible cast of receivers. They'd be they'd be crazy foolish not to use it. They're coming off a year in which again it wasn't Josh McDaniels at the at the controls, but they passed the ball over 600 times last year. I fully expect it again this year. The thing that I think is the thing that I'm I'm most curious about in this offense, and um you're you're probably better to I, I don't have an answer for this, so maybe you do. Devontae Adams in uh, in his time in Green Bay could line up anywhere on the field. Devontae was super dangerous out wide. He was super dangerous in the slot. I think he saw, you know, he was among the the leaders in uh, targets from the slot last year. And I that is something that we have not seen a lot of under under Josh McDaniels. And it it worries like not that obviously he, he will rely on slot receivers, but we don't necessarily see guys as chess pieces, right? Like 
Julian Edelman was the slot receiver or, or Jacoby Myers was the slot receiver. We're not seeing a whole bunch of different guys. You know, Alan Lazard doesn't get 35, 40 targets from the slot and Randall Cobb the same and Devonte Adams 70 plus, right? Like there was a, there were more defined roles. So they're not like, he's not necessarily using his receivers as chess pieces so much as they're like, they're like dudes in bubble hockey, right? Where like, you go there and we, there's no, there's no way to move you over here. Right. So I, I worry that we won't like get the full versatility from Devante that, that is probably my biggest concern with him. And I, I do fear that the offense, while it is probably still going to throw the ball 600 times, I don't know that we'll see Devante used exactly as he was used in green Bay. And I'm not even sure how worried I should be about that. Yeah. I, don't really care about that. And I know it's been like a talking point a lot in, in the fantasy circles. And look, you want to get your number one wide receiver, your best players targets out of the slot because you're going to face more zone coverage. You're going to see guy coverage from linebackers, safeties, etc. Targets to the slot are just going to be a little bit more layup oriented than routes on the outside. where you are going to see more press man coverage, etc., etc. It's harder to take guys away when they line up in the slot. We've seen that with plenty of players over, you know, the last four or five years. So I, I do get that concern, but like this is Devonte Adams, the best separator in the NFL. You know, him and Stefan Diggs are one and two in terms of route runners to me. So I don't really get myself concerned that much, especially because I think they will still scheme him layup looks in the red zone, right? Which was the crucial yeah. part of the kind of the chemistry between Rogers uh, and, and Devonte Adams. But I hear you that it's just, it's, it's, things might be a little more volatile than we're, than we're used to with Devontae Adams, but that's why we've got him like six, seven, as opposed to one, two, where we would right. clearly have him if he had stayed in green Bay. Right. I can't, obviously I can't take him out of the top eight. I think he's as good as it gets. Um, I have a lot yeah. of faith in him. I'm, I'm sure he's going to find, you know, a, a, his usual target total. It's going to be 140. It's going to be 150 targets, something like that. I'm not worried so much about that, but it's, it's just a lot of the layup stuff. Like the, the yeah. path to Devonte catching 120 balls or 115 balls probably involves him seeing 60 targets out of the slot. Right. Um, and I guess, I guess that's the only concern, but as you say, we've accounted for it because I don't have Devonte as a top three receiver, which is, which is weird given his, given his skill and given his, his already pre-existing rapport with Derek Carr. And as you mentioned in this offense, there always is the slot receiver, you know, Julian Edelman, Jacoby Myers. Well, they've got the slot receiver in yeah, Hunter Renfro. Yeah. Uh, that is a huge part of the Devonte Adams equation. And I think that Hunter Renfro, if they play 12 personnel can be a flanker receiver and Devonte Adams can be the X receiver. So I don't think we have to worry about him coming off the field or any of that stuff. And Julian Edelman was the flanker receiver when they played 12 uh, in new England. So, I mean, it really is. I know it seems stereotypy and all that because he's a small white receiver, but like it just fits so well. The skill set of the player fits so well. Where are you at with Hunter Renfro, though, as an individual? Because um, our ranks on Yahoo very widely. Scott's got him all the way up at 20. Dalton, shock, got him at 42. And you and I are kind of in the middle of there at 39 and 33. But that's a pretty big range for Hunter Renfro. Yeah, to, to Dalton's point, there there's no chance that Hunter Renfro finishes a season with like, I mean, I guess there's always a chance, but he's he's not finishing with like 1300 yards and 12 touchdowns. Like that's just not in play. I don't, for, for me, I'm, I'm not going to put a guy in the top 20 unless I think they can just have an absolute blow up, you know, huge difference making season. There is a path, of course, if this team throws the ball 600 to 650 times for Hunter Renfro to catch another like 90 balls. Like that can definitely happen in part because... 
I, I don't know what to tell you about the number three receiver on this team. Obviously, Darren Waller is effectively the number three, but like beyond that, yeah. in don't the even think, court, don't tell him anything. There's nothing to, there's nothing to think about. Like <laughs> there's, there's, nothing there's going no on. room for injury here. Like somebody gets hurt and it's really bad. All of a sudden you're, you're rolling some guys out on the field who probably don't belong as uh, like an NFL starter for a, for a credible possible playoff team. Like that's, it gets really ugly early uh, in the, on the Raiders depth chart at receiver. But I, but I do think there's a pretty clear path for like a for like an 85 catch 900 yard season for Renfro I don't I don't think that's crazy I wouldn't I'm not gonna bury him exactly as Dalton has but but also I again I, I respect the way Dalton is ranking like if you just want to take big swings on players who can be difference makers and you know you realize that you're gonna churn a whole bunch of your roster throughout the season maybe you never take a shot with Renfro outside of full PPR a hundred percent. All right, Andy, we're going to finish on this because you and I, you know, it's August, man, because we've got like actual people want to talk to us. We have meetings. That's, that's, <laughs> it's, that's when you know it's August, you know, June, May, nobody wants to meet with Matt Harmon and Andy Barons, but in August they do. Uh, so we got to run. But one of the premises of why I'm excited to, to do the podcast this year is that. I think we all, like I've said this before, we all see the game differently and I want to foster like good disagreement for the listeners to, you know, benefit from it and see which side of the aisle they fall down on scott hates josh jacobs i mean has buried he and i have buried josh jacobs on two of the two podcasts we've done in the last (laughs) couple of weeks um he's got him at running back 30 you've got him at running back 20 so tell us why you're not willing to um while you're sort of to be on an island at this point in the fantasy uh community as a pro josh jacobs guy josh jacobs and i can't put it any simpler than this, I think Josh Jacobs is a really good back. Um, I think he is clearly uh, separate and apart from the rest of this backfield. I, I don't know that they'll use him exactly that way. And I, I recognize that the big concern uh, within the fantasy space is that somehow we've started describing the, the New England backfield last year as if it was a nightmare, as if it was difficult, as if it didn't produce a guy who scored 15 yeah, touchdowns, yeah, yeah. as if it didn't produce Ramondre Stevenson in the second half of the season, who was a flex starter everywhere, right? Like it was a really good backfield. Like we don't like that's not you're not insulting the the Raiders situation to say that, oh, no, what if it's like New England? That would be effing awesome if it's like New England. New England was great last year. There was a rich running environment. We loved it. So I don't like I don't think that's bad. If he's not seeing 20 to 25 touches a game, that's fine. The key points with Josh Jacobs are he just forces a ton of missed tackles. Like this is a really difficult guy to to like the first defender almost never takes him down. People describe him as if he's like just a guy easily replaceable. Josh Jacobs was right behind Javante Williams and Jonathan Taylor in terms of missed tackles forced last year. He was he was third in the NFL in missed tackles forced on rush attempts tied with Nick Chubb. Like that's who he is. He was that guy as a rookie too. Like he was a missed tackle machine as a rookie, played through a bunch of injuries in his second season, but we should also give him credit for like playing a bunch of games while he limped off the field after every carry in his second season. I I just I think he's a really good player. I, I, I fully recognize that I'm uh, we're running out of people in fantasy who think he's a really good player. Um, I happen to think he's a really <laughs> good player. I think he should get upwards of, of 15 touches a game in this offense because I don't unless unless Samir White is a thing, which could happen. I don't think there's anybody close to Josh Jacobs. I think he's great. Like, I think I think he's an actual great running back. Um, I think all of the advanced numbers back that position up. I 
I do get irritated at the pe- like I've had a handful of people on Twitter come at me with this idea that, you know, uh, Javante Williams is a superstar because of missed tackles. And and they are some of the same people who will tell you that Josh Jacobs is just a guy. But if you like if you like the data that supports your Javante argument, then uh, unfortunately, you may not realize it, but you like Josh Jacobs, too, because he is yeah. he's about as elusive as it gets. I think he's great. And there was one open question about Josh Jacobs entering last season, and that was whether he could have any receiving role and whether he could catch the ball. And he he nailed it. Um, yeah. What was it? 54 catches on something like 64 targets. He was great as a receiver, so he can do it all. I don't know that they'll use him that way. The other benefit to drafting Josh Jacobs is if. Like if I'm wrong about the Raiders intentions for him and they really do plan to make him a trade candidate, uh, the Eagles would take him. I would guess the Rams would take him like he would very clearly be the best running back in a lot of pretty fun offenses. So I'm into that, too. One of the things you said on a podcast with me uh, that that stuck with me and you, you sort of alluded to it here it was a few months ago, but you were like, I know that nobody really cares about like missed tackles per attempt unless it fits their uh, argument. <laughs> and that's Josh Jacobs is the post, which, by the way, is yes. true of all stats. I mean, I have people that use my data to, you know, support their argument about this player, but then they still want to totally disregard it. So it's just that's the truth of NFL stats, by the way. And I'm like that once again here for two podcasts in a row, we're ending on like a wide uh, range esoteric sort of note there with fantasy. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But yeah, man. All right, Andy, this has been a good show. I really appreciate you doing it with me. Um, Of course, like I said, we do have to run. So buddy, hopefully they still keep us on the FFL cast after we're late to this meeting. You know, so it's tough, tough times here at Yahoo. But anyways, that's going to do it for us. Of course, please follow Andy on Twitter at Andy Barons. Follow me at at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. And while you're there, make sure you're following at Yahoo Fantasy. Tomorrow, Scott Pianowski will be back and we will do a fantasy preview of the Indianapolis Colts. Is there anybody we should care about in the passing game beyond Michael Pittman? Find out tomorrow. Until then, we're out. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.